Welcome to the Whiting Safety Always podcast series. The second part of our podcast series that discusses decontamination. Again, today we have Dan Glasso with us and we're here to talk about decontamination. Part one discussed several aspects of decontamination. So today what we're gonna talk about is the effectiveness of decontamination. So when we have a decontamination situation, how do we know if the process has been effective, Dan? Well, decontamination methods vary in their effectiveness for removing different substances. The effectiveness of any decontamination method should be assessed at the beginning of the program and periodically throughout the lifetime of the program. If contaminated materials are not being removed or have not penetrated protective clothing, the decontamination program must be revised. The following methods may be useful in assessing the effectiveness of a decontamination. First, we have visual observation. There is no reliable test to immediately determine how effective decontamination is. In some cases, effectiveness can be estimated by visual observation. In natural light, discoloration, stains, corrosive effects of visible dirt or alterations in the clothing fabric may indicate that contaminants have not been removed. However, not all contaminants leave visible traces. Many contaminants can permeate clothing and are not easily observed. Ultraviolet light can be used with certain contaminants, which are common in many refined oils and solvent wastes. Fluorescence can be visually detected when exposed to ultraviolet light. Ultraviolet light can be used to observe contamination of skin, clothing, and equipment. However, certain areas of the skin may fluorescence naturally. Then we have wipe sampling. Wipe tests can provide after-the-fact information on the effectiveness of decontamination. In this procedure, a dry or wet cloth glass fiber filter swab is wiped over the surface of a potentially contaminated object and then analyzed in a laboratory. Both the inner and outer surfaces of protective clothing should be tested. Skin may also be tested using wipe samples. Cleaning solution analysis. Another way to test for effectiveness of decontamination procedures is to analyze for contaminants left in the cleaning solutions. Elevated levels of contaminants in the final rinse solution may suggest that additional cleaning and rinsing may be needed. Testing for permeation is the presence of permeated chemical contaminants required that pieces of the protective garments be sent to a laboratory for analysis. So there are many different ways you can test. So if an employee ends up taking part in a decon situation, Dan, from a health and safety standpoint, what kinds of things should they be looking for when they're out there participating in that process? Decontamination procedures must provide an organized process by which levels of contamination are reduced. The decontamination process should consist of a series of procedures performed in a specific sequence. Each procedure should be performed at a separate area in order to prevent cross-contamination. Okay, Dan, thanks for that information. So now we've got the decontamination completed. What would be the next step as far as disposal and in the process of disposing, of course, we need to discuss and think about personal protective equipment. What kind of PPE would we also utilize during this process? Well, all equipment used in decontamination must be decontaminated and or disposed of properly. Buckets, brushes, clothing, tools, and other contaminated equipment should be collected, placed in containers, and labeled. Also, all spent solutions and water should be collected and disposed of properly. Clothing that is not completely de decontaminated should be placed in plastic bags pending further decontamination and or disposal. As far as PPE, uh, decontamination workers who initially come in contact 
with personnel and equipment leaving an exclusion zone will require more protection from contaminants than decontamination workers who are assigned to the last station in the decontamination line. In some cases, decontamination personnel should wear the same level of PPE as the workers in the exclusion zone. The extent of their decontamination should be determined by the types of contaminants they have been in contact with or exposed to and the type of work they performed. Okay. Just like anything else we do on a day-to-day basis, every time we start something, we always want to think about what we would do in the case of an emergency. So if we're working to decontaminate something and we run into a situation that would be deemed an emergency, how are we going to handle it? Well, in addition to the routine decontamination procedures, emergency decontamination procedures must be established. In an emergency, the primary concern is to prevent the loss of life or severe injury to the personnel on site. If immediate medical treatment is required to save a life, decontamination should be delayed until the victim is stabilized. If decontamination can be performed without interfering with essential life-saving techniques or first aid, or if a worker has been contaminated with extremely toxic or toxic or corrosive material that could cause a severe injury or loss of life. During an emergency, provisions must also be made for protective medical personnel and disposing of contaminated clothing and equipment. Then decontamination must be performed immediately. If an emergency due to a heat-related illness develops, protective clothing should be removed from the victim as soon as possible to reduce the heat stress. Okay, thanks Dan. Again, uh, stressing uh, people need to be able to Uh, pre-plan, take care of themselves first, make sure that their safety is the main priority before they start any type of decontamination work, and always plan for emergency situations utilizing your PPE um, and uh, making sure disposal methods are also in place and followed. Thank you guys for listening. We look forward to seeing you again.